It may not be a surprise to you, but we hear a wild gamut <laughs> of, uh, of experiences. So all things from clients that go, why the heck do you care? Why are you talking about this? To clients that end up in tears, right? Mm. They, they're, they're conversations they've never had with their spouse before. They're finally getting on the same page or maybe the, the non-financial spouse hasn't felt heard. This is Bridging the Gap. With your host, Matt Reiner. Mark Ackeroyd, welcome to Bridging the Gap. I wish you were still in Australia where we're doing it, but welcome, mate. How you doing? <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. I mean, I, I would love to be in Australia doing this, but it would be 4 a.m. that time. So yeah. you, you probably wouldn't get the best of me, to be honest. We could call it coffee with we could call it coffee with Matt, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But uh, now you're in Chicago. Well, dude, I am uh I'm stoked to have you on the show. I was, as I was preparing for the episode, looked into Lumiant and really just excited to hear more about it and dive into kind of values-based investing and who it fits and what y'all's vision is. So we're going to get all into that. I think it's going to be a fun conversation around style mm. uh, and approach to, to serving clients and investing. But before we get there, I'm curious, man. I looked at your profile. And like I said, <laughs> you're from Australia. You're now in Chicago. Was this, you know, leading the product and everything of that nature, mm. was this what like the 13-year-old Mark Mark Ackroyd wanted to do or or no? What what did the 13-year-old? Let me just ask that. What did the 13-year-old Mark Ackroyd want to do? Man, I, I you know, I wish it was some inspirational story to be like I've always wanted to change the financial advice industry, but I'm 13-year-old Mark probably couldn't even spell financial advice. Um, <laughs> to be honest, I, a 13-year-old Mark, I, I think, was wanting to be a sports journalist, to be honest. You know, I love my sport back home. And at that age, I was I was into footy and cricket. And somehow I liked being creative with, with words as well and thought, well, let's just mash those two together. And that seems like a pretty decent career. And yeah, let's see how that turned out, you know? <laughs> Dude, we have that in common. That's a connection there. I, I actually, if it wasn't a baseball player, I always wanted to be on SportsCenter. I wanted to be like, you know, an anchor on SportsCenter. I thought like Kenny Main or Stuart Scott, like that yeah. was my jam right there. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, I was never good enough to really make it in sports. So I thought that's the next best thing. I agree. But then I realized that you'd have to go like become a sports anchor in like Wichita, Kansas, nothing Stop wrong, Wichita, there. Kansas or something. But, you know, I have a good friend uh, or a friend that that's gone and become a sports anchor. And like he was he traveled all around like to the small podunk towns. And I was like, well, maybe maybe not for me. Uh, yeah, at that point. I think but, uh, I think where my dream was crushed was when I was starting to do year 11 and 12 English. And, you know, I had to assess and analyze Frankenstein and Dracula and create <laughs> themes and motifs out of that and write essays. And I was like, nah, that's not my bag. <laughs> that's incredible. I love that. That's amazing. Well, well, talk to me now about the journey from, you know, 13-year-old Mark up to today. How did you get to heading up product here at Lumion? Yeah, it's um, it's been a really interesting ride personally for myself and one that I've had a, a serious amount of learnings along the way, you know. I left high school back home in Albury, uh, Australia, so nice little country town in between a couple states and originally was going to go into exercise science at university, you know, try and keep the sporting career dream alive and started working for a, a bank, a, a large bank back home and sort of really fell in love with that environment at, at 19 and sort of found out I was pretty good at it, whether it be from the customer experience side of things, banking side of things, leadership side of things. You know, I'd picked up some coaching leadership skills through my sport. 
and and sort of just rode that wave to be brutally honest what, what i what i learned really early on in my career through some really great mentors that i had was i should continue to look for work sort of absent of title but but relevant to the capabilities and work that i'd want to be doing and that sort of landed me into sort of leadership coaching business development type roles early on in the bank before um making a switch uh through through wanting to lead people at scale. So I made a switch to leading financial advisors, which was my first foray into financial advice. I think I was 25 at the time. thought I knew everything about the world and, and was yeah, brought, brought back to earth pretty quickly by, by my team, in particular around life experience, but fi- financial advice experience. What I learned really quickly there was my story isn't the most important one in the room. It's, it's my teams and what they are looking to achieve. And I was lucky enough to be able to, to sit in that role for a good three to four years, leading teams of financial advisors through uh, a, a couple of different states in Australia. So I would have led, you know, 30 or 40 of them over the time. And through recognising that it's about helping them build their business, find their story, find their value proposition, ultimately what I was doing was, was learning through osmosis around what it meant to be a great financial advisor and create great financial experiences because I was helping my team build them. They were the experts and, and my, my skill and expertise around helping them synthesize those ideas into something really practical and meaningful for their clients. So that sort of evolved into wanting to do that at greater scale. And I was lucky enough to be thrown a project at a national scale uh, for, for our, our bank or our wirehouse, as you guys would call it, uh, back home where we were leading through or, or uh, from the outcome of a, a royal commission um, into the banking and superannuation industry and which sort of brought up some really yucky things around mis-selling and, and all this sort of jazz, you know, stuff that you guys would say wouldn't, wouldn't be in, in uh, a true fiduciary. So we were leading out, out of that and my role was to think about how our wirehouse could take the 108 advisors that we had across 17 locations and create a nationally consistent client experience, investment philosophy, voice of client feedback system, so that no matter where a client went into our office, they got a very similar experience, one that was representative of our brand and what we'd expect our customers to feel and get from us. So it's a really long way of saying it's been a really sort of different journey for myself, one one full of learnings along the way. And I was lucky enough to be introduced to, to Lumion and Santi Burridge, the founder, through a mutual colleague that said, hey, look, if you are looking for something new and different, I think the stuff that you've done over the past would, would really help Lumion uh, in their journey. And, and we got on like a house on fire and the rest is sort of history. You know, started, started back home in Melbourne, leading up our customer success teams here at Lumion and uh, made the transition over to here to the U.S., uh, early this year in January to lead up our product and our product vision and development over here in the US as we grow. I love that story, man. What a what a journey. And I think there's so much gold in there relevant to capabilities that you want, like that advice of, of finding those roles. And the leading financial advisors as your first leadership role, that's a that's quite the the group of individuals to jump into. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I'm, you know, and and your one takeaway of help them find their story. It's not my story; it's their story that matters. You've led now multiple different types of teams, advisors. Yeah. You're now leading a product team. Like, what's the difference have you seen in terms of leadership skills needed to lead advisors versus leading other teams? 
I'm not sure. I mean, there's a, there's a bit of a difference in the sense that I, I truly think advice is such a individualistic thing. So let me clarify that. It's not to say that you can't have large groups of advisors, teams of advisors, business of advisors that come together around a, a consistent purpose. But what I think is at the core is each advisor has this real individual view on what great advice looks like and what a great advice experience looks like. You've just got to take a look at the amount of different propositions that are out there in the marketplace to know that. The difference between that and, say, an individual employee actually isn't too much, right? So an individual employee in any sort of industry will have a view on what they can get the most out of in their role, what that role means to them. And I think the leadership skill you actually need is the humility to sit and understand what that may look like mm. um, and try and find a way to, to maximise that. Now, at a certain point, sometimes there's a, a clear difference between the ideal life that employee wants um, to, to achieve and, and the opportunities afforded to them in that role. And sometimes that's a challenge, but, you know, let's talk through that and let's um, let's figure it out. Let's start with the clarity of what it is you want life to look like. And I think that's probably the the key across all of those industries. What an interesting, I mean, like that that's such a good leadership takeaway is, you know, what do you want life to look like? Understand it and how do I get you there? based on where our vision is as a leadership team and how do I get you there as an as a team member and each advisor having a view on what great advice looks like and you mentioned you know, you learned what it took to be a great advisor I'm curious on that right we have a lot of advisors that, yeah. that, that come here like what's your perspective on what you learned from all those leadership skills and experiences you had what it takes to be a great advisor yeah um Jay let me let me frame it this way so I think it's Greta Thunberg that, that sort of says her greatest uh, weakness is her greatest superpower. I think uh, a lot of people have said that, in fact, and, and sort of that's something I came to realize really early in my leadership journey. My biggest weakness leading a team of financial advisors was I had never been one, <laughs> right? But the, the superpower that gave me was I had no bias. I had no preconceived idea around what great advice might look like. Now, I was forming a view, no doubt, whether it would be through formal study, whether it be through reading some of the greats of the industry, like your Roy Dilibertos, Joe Jordans, Nick Murray's, all of that sort of stuff. I was consuming that like, like there was no tomorrow. But what I wasn't able to do, which I think was the right thing, and, and here's probably the, the leadership lesson in it, is go, if I was you, I'd do this. Or when I, had, when I was an advisor, I would do this. Which is, a, so don't get me wrong, people that have been advisors or been the specialist in their field and then moved into leadership, I think carry a great sort of gravitas or, or respect for having been in the role. I um, obviously wasn't afforded that opportunity. So, but, but what, what it tells me is that if you lead with that, you know, when I was in your shoes, I did this, you're sort of, pigeonholing is maybe not the right word, but let's use it for lack of a better one the employee at this point to inherit all your great things because they're going to do what you would have done and hence why you've moved up the chain but also your weaknesses all your blind spots right which could be great it could be good but I truly believe to make the industry better make the world better uh, whatever whatever however meta you want to get to your role as a leader is to find what it is that person truly wants to do, how they might think about it and create that environment where they can use their own personal flair. Because if you just had a ton of minions or lemmings that looked and felt like you, I mean, that'd, it'd be great. I think I'd get along with you know, 30 other Mark Ackroyds, but 
some of my mates close to me might say that that would also be a bit of a nightmare in in energy and all this sort of stuff. So you've got to celebrate their differences, get the frameworks and process right and allow people to be individually brilliant. Well, I think that I think that that idea of like would incorporate your weaknesses. They also, you know, when you when you try to tell someone like how I would do it, how you would do it came from a lot of experiences that you had. Totally. And, and you're you're avoiding that individual from going on their own journey. And part of that journey is learning through experience. And so just saying I would do it this way, this is how you should do it. You're you're stunting their growth and stunting their ability to also create a new way of thinking, as you were saying, of how we go about the process. Yeah, the um, you know, I think you've already picked up on a massive sports uh, nuffy, right? But I can only imagine the first coach of let, let's use a US reference, uh, Steph Curry, right? When he took a forty footer that you know <laughs> jump shot that is not in any textbook to go and do. You know, I think Steve Kerr, the coach of the Golden State Warriors, talks about this. He's like, that's what Steph does, right? Like, it's not in any textbook. It's probably not in the play. or well, it would be now. They've won four rings. But, um, <laughs> but like, you've got to go, all right, that's him. That's what he wants to do. He's pretty good at it. Maybe let's rewrite the textbook. As long as you've got the foundations and the fundamentals down pat, let people be really individually brilliant and figure things out for themselves. Now he's going to miss some shots in some pretty crucial clutch scenarios, but... He's going to learn from that and, 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 and adjust. That's what makes good people great. And, and the lesson he learns from that is greater than any lesson you could try to tell him, right? Absolutely it's just, right. Uh, it, it, there's no better lesson than learning through experience. Let's, let's shift a little bit mm. to kind of this idea of value-based, life-centered approach of kind of planning and investing. You know, yeah. it's this idea of aligning financial advice with clients' core values and life aspirations. Tell me more about what that means both to you and to Lumit and, and how y'all are f- focused on, on bringing that to market. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, we've the, the cool thing is we've probably spoken a little about what it truly means to me already from my leadership journey, right? Like if, if you take what one of my core beliefs there around helping people find their own individual brilliance, to me, I frame that in a way of living a, a life of significance and relevance now, I can't claim that statement. I know Joe Jordan speaks a lot about living a life of significance, but that speaks to me, right? And I think people have the right to try and find what that means for them. Couple that with the, I would say, inherent skill and expertise of a financial planner. Whether they take that skill or expertise and apply it this way is, is a whole different story, but I think they have the opportunity to, which is why I'm in the role that I'm in. If you can get that coaching framework down pat and that visualization framework down pat around helping people define what that life of significance might look like or as we like to call it in Lumion, their ideal or best life then that's half the battle then you you match your expertise to that and to be truly honest like a lot gets made of values-based advice or goals-based advice or you know financial life planning being this massive fluffy emotional sort of life coach type thing it really isn't at the core of it is just help someone understand what life might need to look like to them and match your expertise to that like that's the real crux of it now sure there's some little curly edges to that that we'll no doubt get into but that's what I think is the the base of it you know from the Illumium perspective now if I if I sort of switch gears there we're a client experience and advice engagement platform, right? And for for us, what that actually means is, because I know that that's a term that isn't quite frequently used in the industry, 
we're a, you got to think about us as like a series of tools and exercises that help a client define, co-create and be guided by you around their best life. Because we know through a traditional financial planning experience, they're the sort of skills that matter most to help people be inspired around their best life and actually create change. Because I tell you what doesn't create change, just giving them a portfolio and, uh, and going, here's your report every, every year. I think there's a little bit more to that. Tell you what also doesn't create change, signifying that around a goal of retirement, because I also think there's a little bit more to life than just retirement. So what we're about is helping advisors define, co-create and guide our clients through that best life. And the outcome we believe when you do that really well is a client becomes healthy, healthy and wise. And I love for, that. Yeah, for us, I think that's what matters, right? And this is where, yeah, I alluded to it before. Some some advisors will no doubt be listening to this going, oh, it sounds a little bit too fluffy. But really, when you break it down, healthy isn't just about physically healthy. It's about being mentally healthy. It's about understanding financial well-being and what that looks like for you so that you can run your own race as opposed to comparing yourself to the Joneses every every time. Uh, wealthy is just recognizing that you need money in the bank or fuel in the tank to go and achieve your best life. And wise means that your experience ultimately should be empowering and educating for a client so that they can make choices backed by your expertise. But ultimately, they're their choices because to the point that we've already spoken about with leadership, which I think is what financial planning actually comes down to, people have got to feel like they're their choices to make that change and they wouldn't be engaging a financial planner if they didn't make change. And the other thing is if you've only got sort of two meetings, call it in the prospect experience, plus an annual review, or I'll give you a half yearly review, that's four 90 minute or two hour meetings. There's a lot of life that happens outside of those. (laughs) So unless you've got some sort of experience that helps them sort of create their own skill set around this stuff and help them have a vision to align to so that when they are making decisions outside of your office, of which there are quite frankly billions of decisions outside your office, then they're not set up for success and, and your measurement of success is uh, is at risk as well. I love the healthy, wealthy and wise thing. It's like it's kind of the full circle of life in the sense of like what all the like the key pillars or the like the four horsemen, right? Whatever yeah. you want to call it, the good three horsemen <laughs> or whatever. But you know, on y'all's website, you talk you talked about the client experience platform, but you say it's a behavioral finance and client experience platform. You know, I, I want to dive a little bit deeper into like how do you identify the values? Because some advisors, I think, are listening and saying, "Well, you know, I I just ask them like, what do you want to do? Yeah. Like, what, what do you want to look like?" But there's there's got to be some behavioral science involved in saying. How do you help people truly deeply understand, get below the surface level of like, I just want to have a house in California or whatever it is. I don't know. Like, totally. How do you get down to the deep of like what, what really matters to them and what is it really they want to do? How do you all go about that? How do you think about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love that. So let's acknowledge the fact that, yeah, we can use these terms, goals-based advice, values-based advice. There's actually frameworks that exist, right? We've chosen one and we've developed one and there'll be a multitude out there that advisors listening can go and choose. But here's how we think about it. So at the core of what Lumion's all about and what we've designed our platform around are the eight dimensions of well-being. So that's the framework we use. So the eight dimensions of well-being is, is research out of the University of Michigan, That defines that a life well-lived or a fulfilled life uh, has fulfillment across these eight dimensions. So 
without going through them all, it's things like spiritual well-being, intellectual well-being, emotional, physical. You know, one of them is financial well-being. So typically as a financial advice industry, we stay in that financial well-being standpoint. But you know, if you take this research as we do, you're sort of ignoring the other seven dimensions, which means you're sort of not taking that whole of life approach. So we've got a tool called our Your Life Assessment Tool that effectively helps a, a client through some really simple questions, sort of Likert scale, you know, one to 10 type questions, say, is that important to me? And if it is, how am I going? Uh, like, how am I progressing towards that? So from a BFI perspective, behavioral finance perspective, it's not too much more than that, right? It's just about putting it on the table in a way that's really fast brain thinking so that they can, they can sort of get involved because the art of this is that the tool itself, and this is somewhat counterintuitive, right, as the tech provider, the tool itself isn't the, the special source here. The advisor is. The tool is merely facilitating a conversation that you now as the advisor can pick that up and go, huh, Mark has assessed that emotional well-being is something he's not quite doing okay with. You know, he's uh, identified that he's not happy with how he's progressing around spending without guilt or the amount of time he's spending with loved ones. That's a really good leg up for a conversation in your first discovery meeting. So then we, we sort of help advisors unpack that through a framework with a values exercise that helps clients choose values assigned to these dimensions of well-being. There's two per dimension of well-being. So there's 16 values in total. And our, our screen or our, our platform guides you through some really basic questions. Now, the cool thing about this, to go back to the earlier leadership point, is we do it in a way that gives you the foundations to succeed. So there are a couple of key questions like why'd you pick that value? Why is it important to you? And what does it mean? The great advisors take that in the free text box and ask about a thousand more, <laughs> right? So the great advisors can go, okay, that's really good. You know, some of the more powerful questions I've heard are things like, what happened uh, in the life of yours or, or a loved one of yours that made you feel like that was important? I go, oh, okay. That's really cool. So there, there is art to this that will sit outside of our platform that can be facilitated by our platform. So it's a long way of saying to you, there's two modules out of a suite of about 13, 14 we've got now that help you facilitate conversations around this in a way that captures it within the platform so that then you can use that data to, I guess, deliver a better experience for your clients, a more holistic experience for your clients. But even better for your firm can help you leverage your brand proposition further. So I, I find that, I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued by behavioral finance. I'm intrigued mm. by expanding the conversation beyond what do you want financially in your life? I, there's two really avenues I want to go down. And it's not necessarily ne how, how y'all do it at Lumiant, but just from mm. y'all's experiences of learnings, because y'all probably research this a lot. One is... You mentioned this concept of like of understanding the, the like the millions of choices that they make between the meetings that you have, and the experiences that they have as well. What's the best way to do that, right? Because you know, is it surveying? Is it like pinging? Is it because like the client's not going to think about like all these choices, and but they're very important that they're needed, and you don't want to be overwhelming either. So like. What totally. have you learned is like that, that's kind of like balance of that in that, that yeah. process. Yeah, I'm not sure we've solved it. I'm not sure you ever will. I can sort of talk you through how we feel about it because to your point, I think the balance that you're always going to get right is 
how do you let them make their own choices and then how do you bring them into line within those guardrails and when like when and how often do you bring them into line within those guardrails because if you go too often so say a really a really extreme example would be every time they tap their card and that's not aligned to a spending plan or aligned to their values you you'd get a little nudge which you know if apple really wanted to they could um, but you could get a nudge and say hey that's not on like i don't i'm not sure that's the greatest client experience feels a bit, feels a bit big brother to me equally doing nothing until the annual review isn't ideal either so here's how we sort of coach to it in lumion so imagine our platform you've got the dimensions of well-being that they want to work on you've got their values uh, you've got their goals we average about 7.6 goals per client uh, per household in the system so we've got a lot of framing as i like to call it or definition of what their best life looks like And then you've got all the financial stuff in there as well. So, you know, we are a financial advice platform here. So, you know, we've got fact find data in there. Your investments will pull through. We've got Monte Carlo modeling in there. So you've got enough of the levers within your uh, conversation to be able to know what should be happening outside of your four walls. The choice that you get to make then as an advisor is how you position yourself to your client. And typically uh, advisors that we work with ask their client permission to be an accountability partner and what that may need to look like for them. And that's where it's your choice as an advisor to do that because we know that not everyone wants to be that person, but we know a lot of advisors that use us do because they recognize that a true values-based approach sort of becomes, you become as the advisor, a bit of a guide to your client. So how, how they then do that is maybe on a quarterly basis, Rather than wait for the annual review, they can look through the Lumiant platform and see how that client's progressing, whether their accounts have gone up, down, you know, are they on track, off track through the Monte Carlo scenario uh, simulator, our best life tool as we call it. And then record a little video and go, hey, you know, things are going really well. Keep doing what you're doing or things aren't. Remember, these are the things that are important to you because they're all in there and, and then sort of hold them to track on that. Now, the key difference Uh, I know I've been going for a while, but here's the point I'll make. The key difference that we believe makes this more purposeful and more actionable for the end client is that throughout that experience to set up the platform, they're involved. And when I say they're involved, typically as an advice industry, we involve what we like to call the financial spouse, but not the non-financial spouse. So we, we, you know, a very easy trap for the industry to fall into is the person that understands money, understands stocks, you know, fills out the fact find, fills out the investment application and is the one that, that sort of gets talked to in the, in the meeting where the non-financial spouse may not even turn up or if they do, they're sort of in the shadows. All the experiences I've spoken about before involve the non-financial spouse. They get a survey too. They actually get to go first through our values exercise because we know if they don't, their opinions are biased by the financial spouse and somewhat overshadowed. So we do that deliberately to invite them. And once they're invited in and they're part of it, we know that they make a ton of the decisions at home outside of our office as well. So we're actually talking to the the right decision maker at home through that. And by getting both spouses involved in a relationship around the financial plan, we may not solve all of it, but we've got a better chance of success than than originally. I, I love that. I think it's awesome and incredible. The 
the other side of the coin, and you know, we're highlighting Lumion a lot, and, and we, I don't usually tend to do it, but I'm just so curious mm-hmm. because y'all have had so much lessons learned on the behavioral side, and this concept of values-based planning is, is a very, you know, it, it, as you think about expanding your skill sets and expanding your value as an advisor, as investment management has become commoditized, this is something that there's an opportunity at, whether you use Lumion or not. I, I, I have no sure. say yeah, on yeah. that, but I, I think that there's something to learn from their experiences. The, the one area is, I'm curious, you know, I'm in the business, and we've done it one way for 27 years. Yeah. What's the reception from clients? For this, because it seems very therapeutic and therapy esque to have these types of conversations. I'm curious on what their reception is. Yeah, it, it may not be a surprise to you, but we get a we, we hear a wild gamut of uh, of experiences. So, all things from clients that go, "Why the heck do you care? Why are you talking about this?" to clients that end up in tears. Right. Mm. They, they're, they're conversations they've never had with their spouse before. They're finally getting on the same page or maybe the, the non-financial spouse hasn't felt heard. So if you say that they're the two, the two extremes, the real common experience we hear is probably twofold for existing clients. This is a great validation of the stuff that we're doing already. You know, we, we now intrinsically know, because people do actually, when you do want to, when you do survey them, I think JD Power had a great survey on this earlier this year. People want to live a life aligned to their values. They just don't typically think a financial advisor is going to care about that. So it doesn't come up until a financial advisor asks. So, you know, existing clients will get that validation that they are on track. Equally, existing clients get that, oh, oh, hang on, there's other things that you're interested in here. And that's refreshing right? Because there are things that they didn't think they could put on the table with their financial advisor due to their definition of what this relationship may look like, that now they get permission to speak about, in particular for the non-financial spouse. I think that's super empowering. So we have a lot of experiences that are like, I've never thought about that before. I've never said that before. I didn't know you were interested about that. And, you know, when you actually play that out, there's some pretty extreme examples of where to take it back to financial planning, financially, we've avoided some pretty silly decisions. So we had a great one back in Sydney where the value card that that, that client picked was um, live in a better place. And the non-financial spouse, when they were defining what that meant to them, uh, sort of spoke about wanting to downsize their house because they, you know, they're sort of done with cleaning it all and, and they, they sort of want to live off, off street, uh, off the beach a little bit versus the financial spouse wanted to renovate it and spend a lot more money into it. And they were just looking at each other going, oh, I didn't know you felt that way. And they talked through it and they, they realized that downsizing was probably something they wanted to do so they could get off where they were and get close to the beach in a smaller community. And you know, just having that conversation alone, I, I think it was about a million dollar sway, right? You know, invest $500,000 or downsize and, and get $500,000 in the in the bank. Like it's stuff like that that we, we hear as the most common uh, experiences. The conversation point I've danced around that I think will be on a lot of financial advisors' minds is what if my clients don't want to talk about it? Quite frankly, that's just not our experience. What we've identified is that Clients don't want to talk about it when the advisor isn't all in, right? They pick up on that. 
when it just mm. becomes an exercise that we need to do because my my business is doing it or I'm you know I'd just be curious to know that's when clients don't do it because you still do get the clients that say oh I don't I don't think this is for me but what I've observed is the advisor go look let's go through it I actually really believe in this those clients come around and have the the, the profound experiences I've spoken about I love that. I mean, I, I could see advisors being like, gosh, my clients are going to want to talk about that. And that yeah. gets awkward. It's awkward to start having those conversations because you have this one experience. And so, you know, for those advisors, they're like, gosh, this is going to be awkward for me to have these conversations. Like what, what type of advice do you give them? Like, how do you say, how do you nudge them to, to go and get uncomfortable in that sense? Yeah, totally. So it's probably like an internal checklist before you even come down this from, from my perspective. So I would only go down this path if you recognize that the role you want to play in your client's life is that of a guide, right? You want to be involved in them. If you still want to operate in that power over relationship, which can still exist, you know, I'm the guy with all the answers, you know, pick my portfolio, that's it. This probably isn't for you. So you want to be a guide. You also understand that life's a little bit messy and that giving your clients clarity around what it is you're working towards you know we like to say you know helping them feel seen by defining their best life involving them in the experience so that they can cut through that mess of life and then guiding them back back by your expertise to make some choices then this might be for you and if you want to empower clients to make choices to do that this might be for you and lastly if you believe in servant leadership I think that's a really good trait for advisors in this this sort of theme of the industry, you believe in those things, then let's do it. So then the next question is, well, how do I do it? Right. So whether you use Lumion or not, I think frameworks are key. So, you know, Bill Backrack has a great values-based advice framework, you know, the, the ladder there of, of asking why is that important to you. We've got a framework within our platform. You know, you could even go down the Kinder Institute of Life Planning framework. I think frameworks are key because if we go back to the, the Steph Curry metaphor at the start, even he learned the basics of shooting before he started shooting 40 footers, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got to have a framework to fall back on because that gives you the baseline, but it also gives you something to practice. So then practice, practice, practice. There is no shortcut or silver bullet. I get advisors asking me all the time, you know, what's the easiest way just to get a client to do this? There isn't, you just got to jump in, hang on for the ride. And then we get questions like, well, how do I make it go for less than 20 minutes or how do, I, how do I get a client to open up? Or when they open up, how do I know when to stop? It's like, well, I also can't give you the answer to that, right? You're just going to have to develop the, the EQ, the emotional intelligence to know when you've pushed too far, when you need to push further, when you need to ask that next question. And that only comes from practice and experience. So keep, I keep using the Seth Curry metaphor because it's a good one. You know, he didn't shoot his first 40-footer in a game, right? He shot thousands of them at practice beforehand. So the last tip I'll give you is practice what's hard in a safe environment beforehand yeah. and then go into it. So whether you do the exercises with your spouse, whether you do it with a peer in the office, practice those so that you can go in with confidence because if you're not confident or, or convicted in it, your clients will pick that up. Yeah, I think that that's that's really good advice. And I love being a guide and life is messy and accept that. I have two more questions before I get to our wrap up questions. Go for it. And this is kind of a random one, but I'm curious of it because you come with a different perspective. Yeah. Can you explain, is there and if there is a difference between 
an advisor in Australia and the advisors in the U.S. and also clients in and in Australia and clients in the U.S. Like, is there a different mindset, a different approach, a different belief system? Like, can you encapsulate that? Yeah, yeah, I'll try. I'll, I'll try. I mean, the the honest answer is it's really funny being across both. Now, I started my journey in Australia and we looked at the US. <laughs> you know, all those people I read uh, that I named before are all US people. Y then I come over here and US advisors are going, hey, you guys do some pretty cool stuff in Australia. Tell me all about that. The key difference is the way that we're regulated, I would think. So we, we have, you know, you guys have fiduciary, fiduciary duties or, or some people do. And we have like a best interest obligation, which is regulated. So we have to continually define and, and sort of defend our advice and why it's in the best interest of a client as defined by their goals, their product preferences and so on. So I would say because of that tightness of regulation, I, I would say Australia has had to find a way and Australian advisors have had to find a way to reinvent their client experience to help get their client to understand what their goals may be, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and you can only do that through great client experiences because if you just gave them a list of goals, you might get one goal, which is retire at age 65 on 60,000 bucks a year. That, you know, that's, that's easy, but it's probably not enough. So we have to be a lot more resourceful around that client experience. We need to think a little bit heavier. But I don't say that as a, a derogatory comment on the US because I, I equally think the US have challenges around um, because your market is sort of 15 times the size of ours, um, you guys have challenges around differentiation of propositions. So your, your marketplace is a lot more competitive and therefore you're less resourceful, I would say, on you know, trying to find a way through regulation, but actually just as resourceful on trying to find what it is, is my niche, my proposition, what's my value promise, however you want to frame it to my clients. So I would say that the differences are in the environment we're put in, but the similarities are exactly the same. Yeah, that's interesting. I just always, it's always fun to get a, a different perspective based on experience. I guess the last question here, you know, where can people go to learn more about like these frameworks that you're, you're alluding to? And like, if, if they want to dive in and understand like the behavioral side, do you have any resources or tools or things that, whether it's at Lumion or that y'all have used to yeah. kind of build Lumion? Yeah. Okay. So uh, for us at Lumion, obviously you could go to www.lumion.io, easy to go and find. We have a ton of insights in there from our Lumion community, whether they be guides, articles, podcasts uh, around best practices. We like to, so obviously we have our research framework, the eight dimensions of wellbeing by Margaret Swarbrick that you can go and read, but we like to take all that stuff because the theory is good what we've observed is advisors learn best from seeing other advisors do it. So we've just got a ton of, here's how other people have done it. We've got our own Lumion Academy that's just launched in Australia, about to launch in the US. Um, that is a series of uh, tips, best practices and exercises within a streamlined advice process so that you can see how we would apply our frameworks to an advice process. But, but outside of us, I, I, I'd urge you to go and, and check out a few different things based on what it is that you think fits to you. you know, as I said earlier, the difference in this working for your business is that you find your resonance in it. 
So whether it be the Kinder Institute of Life Planning, whether it be the, the Bill Backrack model, whether it be, you know, the guys at Shaping Wealth, they're doing some really good things around behavioral psychology, whether it be those, I'd, I'd urge you to go check them all out and assess what it is that you sort of feel resonates with you the most, right? You know, I, I gave you a bit of an internal checklist before around how, you know, what I think you'd, the boxes you'd probably tick to, to sort of feel like a Lumion type person. But ultimately there'll be other boxes that you'll be looking to tick that other firms and, and providers could do. So that's probably what I would say. I love it. Mark, I mean, we could talk for, for hours. I think this is <laughs> yeah. super interesting. I think that what y'all have created is, is definitely interesting as well. And I'm glad we were able to learn from some of y'all's experiences that you have. And hopefully it inspires them to, to kind of take a framework and more values oriented to their firm too. So, uh, but before I let you go, you know, I'm, I'm a constant learner. I love learning. I love learning from smart people that are much smarter than me, like yourself. And, <laughs> and one way that. I like to learn, one way I like to learn is through reading. So I always like to ask my guests, you know, what's one book out there that you think everybody should read if they haven't or reread if they have? Yeah, my favorite book in the world is Legacy by James Kerr. Now, you know, you, you're going to have to go with the Australian of me here. It's a, it's a book about uh, rugby union, specifically the New Zealand rugby team. And if for those of you that don't follow rugby union or, or know the New Zealand rugby team, they are statistically the best team in world sport, no matter the sport right? Their win-loss record is statistically the best. And this journalist spent 12 months with them understanding why that is and effectively came up with, I think off the top of my head, 11 leadership lessons that are derived from their culture and in particular the Maori culture, which is the, the Indigenous culture in New Zealand, that provide resonance to business and life let alone you know, the fact that they just play rugby is almost a side product. So I, I like to read that at least once a year um, just because I think the leadership lessons are, are super cool, speaks a lot about servant leadership, speaks a lot about interconnectedness and, and culture first and understanding that you're just the steward of the place that you're in right now and you've got to leave that in a better place. And that speaks to me. I, I often like to refer to it as a bit of a palate cleanser um, because, you know, I, I assume like yourself, um, I just read a ton of financial advice stuff, articles, you know, what's going on here. But to take that step back and, and look elsewhere for inspiration, that, that's where I go for it. You know, I, it's funny you bring that up because I, I'm a huge Georgia football fan. And, nice. um, and I think, I, don't, I, I believe it's that same team. As, uh, Kirby Smart, the head coach of Georgia football, has found inspiration and motivation for this year's team because they've won back-to-back -back national championships. And no team since 1938-39 has won three in a row. And I think he took inspiration from that New Zealand team, that rugby there team, because he mentioned it in his press conference about how to create greatness continuously. And yeah, and so it's so funny that you bring it. I'm going to get that book. I'm going on a trip here soon. I may, I'm going to try to pop it open and read it because I think that that's amazing. So thank you for that inspiration. You know, the, the last question I always like to ask is, you know, we talked about a ton here and I always like to leave mm. people with some actionable advice to go on. And so from everything that we talked about, what's that one actionable piece of advice you would want to leave our listeners with that they can implement tomorrow and better themselves, better the firm, better their future going forward? Yeah, look, for, for me, I, I think the, the biggest tip that I can give anyone around their client experience, whether it be, you know, an investment-led approach, a values-led approach, whatever that might be, is by asking themselves a really simple question when they think about their client experience, which is, 
at any point in any time in my client experience when my client is interacting with me or a member of my team, how do I want them to feel? That's it. I love that. If you ask that at every point of your experience and answer that and make sure your experience is aligned to that, I guarantee you it'll drastically change what you do. Simple is effective. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it is no. super effective. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Mark Ackroyd, it's it's such a pleasure to meet you for the first time over this podcast. And your insights are inspiring and on point, in my opinion. You know, I'm going to continue to follow your journey. And I know that others on the, on the podcast will. So how can others stay in touch with you and continue to follow everything that you're doing, both individually and professionally? Yeah, totally. So always up for friends on LinkedIn. So you can come and find me on LinkedIn, Mark Ackroyd, A-K-E-R-O-Y-D. Come and check out Lumiant at www.lumiant.io. We've also got a great podcast in there that, that I run called Lumiant Live, which brings together all these experiences and, and champions those. So stay in touch with all of those things and, and feel free to connect. Like you, I just want to talk to people and that's how I learn and, and how I've learned in the past. So Thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. I love it, man. Thanks for spending some time with us here and uh, cheers to you, man. Best of luck in the future and I can't wait to continue following and cheering you on. Cheers, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 